Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Dergish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Matt, why don't you tell everybody what story I picked out for everyone to listen to today? Oh man, we're talking about something that truly is a Daredevil story. Amazing Spider-Man 277 Part 1 is Rules of the Game, but this entire issue was released on June 10th, 1986. But there's two parts. That first part, Rules of the Game, as said, you know... Tom DeFalco, Ron Prentz, Bob Layden, letters by Rick Parker, colors by Bob Sharon, editor Jim Owsley. This is one of the most Spider-Man teams we've covered yet, except, Kane, I believe you made a point before we started recording that maybe we should reiterate. We've covered almost this exact same team when we did that uh, uh, Sandman brawling issue. I believe it was the exact same people, uh, and one issue had like a backup artist but um yeah 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 so we, we've hit this era before is what i'm saying yeah. but uh what we'll be getting to the reason this was plucked was the backup which is cry of the wendigo art and script by charles vest colors by elaine lee letters by whew, that same guy rick parker it's something about those letters they're just tenacious and then uh that same editor you know him the priest man <laughs> uh charles vest also someone we've covered before uh he um with spirits of the earth uh, a few episodes ago the graphic novel uh this he did not oh wait no no he did script it never mind just kidding yeah an og joint for a backup that's kind of crazy to think they make such a big to do and then here they're like we got some pages to fill (laughs) (laughs) anyway if you're looking for this issue so you can follow along this one it's an amazing spider-man title super easy to find uh online everywhere uh imprint copies will set you back roughly about six dollars so a little expensive but you know for a back for a back issue but other than that easy to yeah find. but always you know if you get your super sexy dish it'll come a little lighter yeah all right so this one takes place smack dab in the middle of the hobgoblin stuff if if you have no idea what i'm talking about when i say the hobgoblin stuff god help you um it's probably one of the biggest spider-man like sagas i guess was the mystery of the hobgoblin and who the hobgoblin was we're not really gonna dive into that i'm pretty sure uh mischievous mark janakio would just like disown us if we covered the hobgoblin stuff before they got to it over in the amazing spider talk I mean, right, but we do have to touch on it somewhat. So at this point in the Hobgoblin game, and again, if you don't know, many people get tagged with the title along the way. It's part of the fun, part of the scheme in plot. But at this point, Flash Thompson was just revealed to be the Hobgoblin, and Peter starts reminiscing about eh, good old Flash, the uh, bad times to the moderate times. But, like, honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't really tie too much into the story because for, for, the, for the, the top half or the bottom half, the, the rules of the game store... Oh, are, were you going to... Sorry, oh, okay. I, I did that at eh thing. Didn't mean to do that. Um, I disagree in that it sets a tone. Um, we're reminiscing looking back at a uh, character and kind of questioning his character, if you will. And that mm-hmm. plays directly into the next two stories. There's, It's a theme throughout this oh. book. 
Well, you've read a little bit deeper into this than I ha- I did, because for me, like this was just really fun surface stuff. Like I'm not super familiar with the Hobgoblin stuff myself, and I still really, really enjoyed these two stories in this issue. So what really lays the groundwork for rules of the game is that Daredevil gets the snot beat out of him, calls up Peter Parker, and basically gives him the rundown, says like, hey, the Kingpin has found out my secret identity. He's like sicked the IRS on me. He's like wiretapped everything. Daredevil is like full on paranoid and having a breakdown and then has asks Peter to like promises him like, don't confront the Kingpin. You'll only slow me down. I'll handle this myself. Peter says, yeah, sure. And then what happens, Matt? Well, I, I, I do want to point out before we take a step further that this is at the height of the most famous Daredevil story of all time. This is right when the Kingpin's broken Daredevil, all that shenanigans has gone on with Bullseye and Electra. Like, this is the broken man. This is Matt Murdock at his absolute lowest and for murdoch that's saying something it's pretty low (laughs) yeah i don't think anyone in marvel sunk lower uh (laughs) so yeah peter sees i mean they're not really friends the fact that uh matt knew his spider like i know they know each other but the way it's so cavalier here uh takes peter back a bit but he just kind of has to roll with it because murdoch's in full-on crazy mode and yeah the minute seeing this and being like yeah sure i won't bother the geek pin uh he goes swinging uh and locks himself in kingpin's penthouse office just immediately goes and hangs out with the kingpin and after like a pretty solid bit of mon- like internal monologuing which really just sounded like a sales pitch for marvel about the differences between spider-man and daredevil and like yeah well i just fight the costume freaks and everything but daredevil really goes and fights like the the seed of crime when he cares about justice with a capital j and it just really reads that like you know if you want to see read about like a more street level guy fighting like mob bosses go read daredevil which you took the more uh cynical side i liked that little this little uh internal monologue about the difference Mm -hmm. between the two of them because i mean it is funny that spider-man and daredevil play so differently because i mean they're they're basically on the same beat doing basically Mm -hmm. the same thing but there is a pretty stark difference between them and when they come together i feel like there's something special about the daredevil spider-man relationship that we just don't get from other team-ups that i don't know seeing that difference being starkly put here i really like and really kind of puts the idea that yeah spider-man is kind of usually on the lighter side of the street so um, it spoke to me in this pre (laughs) uh craven's last hunt day sort of (laughs) spider-man well so i mean i'm I'm glad you pointed out that my you know my take was a little bit more cynical because i mean guilty as charged but that I think that really doesn't speak to how enjoyable this interaction between uh, Kingpin and Spider-Man was. And I was really kind of caught off guard because of that. Like they have like a really great cat and mouse kind of game uh, that, that's happening. They definitely do. And also to go back to that page, the way Kingpin treats Spider-Man is very different than the way he treats Daredevil. Mm-hmm. He very much views Spider-Man as an annoyance. <laughs> and he views Daredevil as a threat. 
<laughs> so that, that that's for sure. And then that's kind of what, what's going on here. And you, you can see the annoyance grow in Kingpin as it goes. So like, like you said, Spider-Man uh, webs Kingpin's door shut. And Kingpin's like, all right, well, I just heard you do that. Because uh, the lights are off, because you know we we've got this moody Kuroskira thing going on. Because it's Spider Man and Kingpin after dark. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so you're saying Akira Kurosawa thing? Kuroskira. It's an art. Sorry, term. wrong Akira. I apologize. Yeah, it's an art term. Um, it means oh. yeah. yeah uh, I've I've mentioned it before, I think, on the show. Could uh, you repeat it for those of us who don't remember? Oh, sorry. Be me. Uh, in film, they refer to it as like uh, low key lighting, but it's essentially uh, heavy shadows is is an easy way. Like heavy shadows with bright light highlights. So so we got you know in the in the scene, uh, Spider Man kind of hanging upside down. Everything's in shadows, but you have those bright yellow lights kind of highlighting the shape uh it's not it's not pure kuroskira but like it's it's close enough well i mean and it's I, comic I, so it's an anchor's day off you know right like. yeah yeah <laughs> and like <laughs> probably not saying that entirely right uh i'm sure our all of our italian re- listeners will correct me all none of them um but uh, anyway going back to <laughs> going back to the comic I just I really want to talk about this this kind of back and forth that Kingpin and Spider-Man have because yes, an annoyance is a great way to talk about it because Kingpin's saying like, okay, yeah, I know I'm stuck in here with you. And he tries to needle Spider-Man, but while he's talking, he has this monologue going on in Thought Bubbles where he's saying, I you know, I really dislike being at a disadvantage. And so he kind of reaches for his cane, try, trying to do it on the sly. And Spider-Man, uh, you know, says, no, not going to happen and webs it. And it seems like every time Kingpin tries to do something sly to give himself the upper hand, he tries to phone in some guards. He tries to escape through a secret tunnel. Spider-Man kind of just moves in the way. And, and we get that's probably the most uttered phrase in Spider-Man comics incredible he reacted faster than i anticipated like you know it seems like every issue you read of these older comics at least one time someone's gonna mention how spider-man moves so much faster than you would expect uh which i guess is kind of to remind the reader that yeah spider-man's really fast because that doesn't really translate super well in in still images they should have taken more from the flash (laughs) just speed lines everywhere yeah uh, yeah, there's that. The other thing that I like is Kingpin's kind of trying to play this thing where he's like, every time you save the day, every time you do something, you know, I'm making money on the back end through XYZ deal. And he's starting to try to irritate Spider-Man too. Mm-hmm. He's like, I should put you on my payroll. And Spider-Man just kind of snaps and throws another web line. And it's this, it's this total like cat and mouse, like verbal game. What's funny is there's, like you were saying, all these subtle movements that are kind of signified by thought bubbles and the way the characters are positioned themselves around the room it's it's funny that this is as engaging as it is for as many pages as it is because it's just two guys talking really and there's only the actions like spider-man webbing things to stuff and it works it's just really interesting to have two talking heads and make it this tense 
Yes, it's it's definitely tense. And yeah, like like you said, these are just talking heads, but it's so engaging. And I think the way it ends is so well done. It's everything coming together perfectly. You know, are, are you ready to talk about the end? Or was there anything else you wanted to talk about? The only other bit I want to mention this Kingpin bit is like there, this, this interaction, I believe clearly inspired that famous one, Bendis did an ultimate between uh, Spider-Man and the Kingpin. <laughs> Though clearly that's a younger Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Where he gets um, out the list of like, you're so fat jokes. Yeah, literally busts out a list on like a notepad. <laughs> God, if that was written like two years later, it would have been on a smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so the, this ending, Peter kind of realizes that, okay, maybe Murdoch was right. Maybe I should not have come in and tried to like gun down the kingpin because I realized this is not a guy you can just beat up and leave tied to a lamppost. Like he's he's like his reach is much more insidious than that and kind of goes off and and you know they they grandstand at each other and um spider-man says you know someday you'll make a mistake and i'll be waiting and king pin says you know that fool he should have known better to you know to challenge my superior and then he like he sits down in his chair and realizes that peter has webbed like put some web in the chair and he's stuck to the chair and i think it's such a great note because it's it's him showing that yes kingpin will make a mistake and peter will be there like it's such a great visual thing and it's 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 subtle it's subtle um ish for a ish it's subtle ish for, for, for something that's book. like a step away from a whoopee cushion joke yeah exactly um it's great and then and then we get we, we end on the gag with kingpin you know phoning in on his, his intercom saying like no one enter my office for the next two hours on penalty of death <laughs> and then he's just brooding as they pull out uh from the panels uh it's, it's just a fun little moment uh and it, it serves as a nice palate cleanser for what was a very tense issue it, it is and i i have one small note after that mm-hmm. um this is back in the day and i've noticed this going back and reading more older spider-man now is this the webbing being two hours what's much more of a known and like referenced point and that mm-hmm. has faded from spider-man comics over time so. i've always wondered that like so the webs last, I always thought it was one hour, but this is two hours. Maybe he's improved the formula. So, and like, so on the night where he does like a lot of heavy patrolling, like how do the buildings look in that like two hour window? Like, like how noticeable is Spider-Man's just like going through the city? I mean, there's, there's been a couple stories that touched on this. Um, one, actually, interestingly, they made more of a deal of it in a novelized version of the kid who collects Spider-Man in the Ultimate Spider-Man book. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously plays on that famous story, but slightly different. Um, they, they make a bit more of a deal about the webbing, and they have the room to just kind of reminisce about a couple things, I think, just because it's <laughs> a book, not a comic. But it's funny that they don't touch on that more. You feel like that would be... like that. Would have been played up more for laughs and like damage control or something too and it just right or or why we haven't had like an environmentally conscious villain like an eco-terrorist style villain who's 
you know, rallying against the the harm against the environment that Spider like the chemicals in Spider Man's webbing leave behind or so, something. Well, I, I, I don't like if you're gonna have the eco terrace and it can't be on Spider Man. His stuff dissolves and it is biodegradable. <laughs> like it is biodegradable. I don't know, like it, it's it, it's just a, a thread to pull at. You know if, huh. if for so you hear it first, kids and adults, mostly adults, almost entirely adults. If if for whatever reason I ever end up writing Spider Man, I'll get you that eco terrorist villain who's who's concerned about the uh, chemical residue left behind by Spider Man's webbings when Marvel once has they to dissolve. Eco terrorist, right? I can't think of one. They, like yeah, there has to be. Like they had to get, get you know they had to get that uh, Captain Captain Planet money. Well, even well those were those that, are the like... opposite. Those were terrorists who only polluted. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're eco terrorists just in a different way. <laughs> Uh, they had to get that Final Fantasy 7 money what is Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that with a straight face sorry I'm not all right old. anyway uh, man uh, side note I didn't think Final Fantasy 7 looked good in its day <laughs> yeah we're not even gonna touch that with a 10-foot pole this is a Spider-Man podcast I will drive up to Colorado and just just get in your face <laughs> I'll give you my buster sword oh I have one too we'll fight with them it's yours wood yes okay then we're on even ground uh <laughs> anyways so there's this backup story that stan lee presented as he presented many a comic called <laughs> like that you mentioned that like it's something of note like not every single marvel comic that comes out starts with stan lee presents sorry it was just right there framed in a way i actually haven't seen it before <laughs> that's true I was trying to segue, man. I needed something. I needed a wedge. Uh, so this was a bit of a misnomer for me, because when I think Marvel comic and I think Wendigo, I think a giant white furry guy with claws that Wolverine would fight. You know, maybe the mm -hmm. Hulk, because that was the first appearance. Anyways, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of Canada, maybe get Alpha Flight involved. But no, this is just Cry of the Wendigo in a more classical, art house, cultured way. The way us fans of Spider-Man come to expect our comics, you know, more nuanced, more <laughs> thoughtful. <laughs> yeah, just all that subtlety I was talking about. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, But this starts off with a splash page that in my mind should have been the cover um it's just spider-man working his way through blizzard at kind of an odd angle that makes him look a little more gangly but he's in the black suit all of a sudden which i'm gonna bring up and there's this monstrous clearly supposed to be wendigo but like it's a green face kind of encompassed but part of the blizzard coming through it's a it's an amazing image we don't get this kind of thoughtful imagery that often because you can't fit it that often in comics this should have been the cover it should i mean the cover we got was still really good that's what drew oh. me to this comic in the first place it, it is really good this is i i get a poster of this this is mm -hmm. beautiful looking at this now does it remind you of that brand new day story that we covered with the mayan gods and the blizzard sometimes it snows in april i was gonna bring that up this does okay. feel like something we could have covered in our little winter block there we didn't cover every winter story obviously i didn't know this existed then so you know it was on the up. list <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, th this is this is a pretty basic story. Uh, some Canadian diplomats come down to New York like they do. 
which they kind of treat it like it's a much bigger trek than i don't know the like two and a half hours i guess it would take by car i I, i'm I'm like my my geography isn't super great for you know uh up north you know how it is at the border public school there's the wall you got to get through security it's it's rough anyway so a blizzard comes through and these uh hooligans um they don't have a name so i'm just gonna go with hooligan uh kidnap the diplomat's daughter in broad daylight and get her in a van and drive off you know like you do Mm -hmm. and uh luckily they did this in broad daylight because spider-man's on the case he spies them he does and um i should note when spider-man gets involved we get a note that this story is picking up directly off the events of the story we just read yes um so there's that and at you know story i just I, it just clicked for me story-wise it doesn't make sense spider-man jumps into the black suit and goes out despite the fact he should be in his red and blues but the reason he's in the black suit is because this is a blizzard snow story and we need him to be visually distinct in a clear way so we get the black suit black yeah and white. It, it definitely looks really nice and we haven't touched on that um this this comic looks so good this Charles Vest story. I mean, like, we already saw what he could do with uh, Spears of the Earth. And I think we commented there that some of the faces in Spears of the Earth were a little off. Uh, that's not quite the case here. Was 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 that, that was a complaint that we had, right? Yeah, it just didn't hit me in this as much. Mm-hmm. I think I think this it might be the colors, because this is normal color. While Spears of the Earth was painted, hand-painted, mm-hmm. this is just normal comic book coloring. Uh, so, so the inks, inks are able to, I, I think, solidify the shapes a little bit better. But anyway, the, I mean, the blizzard is just so well rendered. Those, like, there's, there's lots of really nice lines and, and hashes that really visualize just how biting that wind is and how it cuts through and, and our, our letterings from the, the titular, howl of the windy or cry of the windigo kind of snake through the pages again just really visualizing that that biting cutting wind visually this story is just super super impressive um you know dialogue eh, like the the story itself also kind of bare bones but it's still just it's enthralling because how strongly it's told in a visual sense which is hard to kind of get across on a purely auditory podcast but you know you'll have to trust me i do i'm also looking (laughs) at it so yeah (laughs) i was speaking to our listeners oh sorry i was just so enthralled with what you're saying uh (laughs) yeah i you know this is a relatively simple story but i mean but everything you said holds true i just you know at the end of the day spider-man saves a kid brings him back and woohoo Oh, a, I do like how this final confrontation. So, so we get the the classic Spider-Man hits his head and like his like fighting off a concussion while he's and, and so this kind of allows him to be threatened by powerless guys with guns. Um, his spider sense is thrown off by the blizzard itself, so he's not super great at dodging bullets anymore. Um, so he he handles all of the the hooligans and then he's trying to walk the girl back to to safety and passes by the van that they had previously driven away with crashed and left one of their compatriots 
uh, for dead, basically, because he was stuck behind the wheel. He manages to crawl out, says his, both his legs are broken, and pulls out a gun. Spider-Man says, not too fast, thwips it, blocks the gun, and then, <laughs> and then basically turns his back, and the guy just pulls out another gun, which... I, it was just, it was just funny to me where he's just like <laughs> John Woo got a, yeah John Woo like I got a spare <laughs> um and hey, then when you're a pro then, yeah exactly uh, but then our our the once again the titular Wendigo grabs this guy and just engulfs him into the blizzard and he's just he's just gone he's he's become one with the blizzard uh which which ties into something the the little girl says earlier in the story but it's it's just it's a fun story what what were you gonna say it also ties to hooky where we have this young girl in trouble who knows about this kind of mystical element and needs help from spider-man but also kind of helps him help them through this Mm -hmm. by you know playing with this different realm and they're kind of bring the mysticism of the faraway lands of canada with them with wendigo (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's just something with that through line that i think works uh, especially for i mean this is only a handful of pages right i mean I, i think these are both 11 page stories or 14 or however many pages we were back in 1987 these are half of that or 86 rather Mm -hmm. about 22 pages so Mm -hmm. yeah i uh i I mean it's simple it's clean you know it it has a few of those panels uh with the alpha flight feel of a lot of white but it just it works and there's something about the the magic here that fits the marvel universe in a way like it it makes a sense but it's just here and goes and could be brought back in a way later but it won't be for branding issues because we have that more famous one to go from canada (laughs) uh yeah yeah so uh fun issue really nice to look at do you have any closing notes on this uh read it (laughs) i just wanted to mention though you know this probably won't be collected if you get it in a uh, uh, trade paperback form. And I'm not even sure if they digitize the letter pages when you get the uh, the digital copies. But on the letter pages, they have included a helpful map that Charles Vest drew to show you where in Central Park the story took place and all the events that have transpired. So if if you're one of those guys who really like who like really likes the uh, the New York aspect of it and the like true to life, uh, here you go. There's a little map in the back that shows you where in Central Park everything happened. Great. So yes, that brings us to the end of this little issue, little little two part one issue. Uh, I'm not sure how we're gonna handle this on our uh, web of ranking. I think because there's the through line, we just need to treat this issue as an issue. That's exactly what I was going to say. Man, it's it's like we've been doing this for over a year together and we have like a kind of wavelength thing going on. I still haven't gotten my ring. <laughs> hey, it'll come eventually. <laughs> so we're now looking at the web of rankings. Mm-hmm. And... So... The- <laughs> Sorry, well, you- uh, what, what I was going to say, so the easiest way to do this is we've got our pumping up line, which is mm. 
pretty much our unofficial official, you know, was this a good story? Was this a problematic story uh, as far as like structure goes, not content? I want to cut some time and say, let's look at Spirits of the Earth, because that's the comparison point for this one with the best connection. Okay. I mean, that's only like a few jumps up, but that's fine. Do you think this is stronger or weaker than Spirits of the Earth number 16 on our list? I'd put this above Spirits of the Earth. All right. Um, We're already in the same camp. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, So this one... I'm not going to put it too much higher than Spirits of the Earth. Um, I'm thinking maybe uh, probably above sometimes it snows in April and below Double Shot, which would put it at our new number 14, Spirits of the Earth being our current number 16, was it? Yeah. So um, mostly because... The story in the second half is a little thin, but it's still visually engaging. The story in the front half is is really strong and it's gripping, but it doesn't necessarily tell much about the Spider-Man as a character. Or And what it does say about Spider-Man the character requires a lot of context and kind of really coming into that story with... Uh, a solid grasp on the history of some of these characters while our issues or our stories above that are easier to come into without context yeah works for me that's about where i'd put it um i may have slightly different reasoning but yeah well well, let's let's hear your reasoning what's okay so i'm saying above spirits of the earth we agree on that i feel like this is a better charles best story the brevity and just the clarity i think really helps from keeping it get to getting too unwound uh but what we're putting it directly over is sometimes it snows in april and all this had more character and um played more with the idea of winter i felt in a clearer way and Mm -hmm. played with the obfuscation of the snow in a way artistically that hit me better than bocello did which sometimes just it was sometimes his stuff is really hard to parse like i have to stare at a while and i don't understand where that pipe looking thing or if it's part of a coat or what like there's a lot of detail and it doesn't Mm -hmm. connect so i i just think this is a cut above not that sometimes it snows in april is number 14 on our list and with a reason but i think this is just a hair better and then above that you know double shot like you said a lot of these are cleaner stories um i i don't i like continuity but there's something about just reading an issue you can dive into so Mm -hmm. yeah that's enough rambling for me there we go once again on that same wavelength we're gonna have to find another story we fight about uh, uh just a, a, a nice knockdown slobber knocker of yeah. a uh of, of a of a podcast episode well i think we know each other well enough that we could pinpoint a block of stories <laughs> that we just that's fair that's fair Cry the wendigo slash God, what was that other story called rules of the game the rules of the game all right, so 
ranked sorted ordered another episode down for untold up next is a new block for untold we're covering some user requested one shots for those playing the home game we're starting with adjective list 90s just spider-man 44 it's a it's a kind of recap issue of sorts uh then we're moving to spider-man unlimited volume one number eight right in the heart of the 90s <laughs> and then we're wrapping up with the sensational spider-man annual one because what better way to do a one shot than to make it an annual hey they count they uh, do that's also the, that's yeah. also the only one on that list i've read so i'm looking forward to this also uh spider-man 44 that's gonna be our 50th episode matt our 50th, 50th of the main show all right i didn't even think to put that together yeah we'll we'll, we'll put something together we'll, we'll probably have a little navel gazing a little a little look back to to the good times we've had <laughs> anyway we'd like to thank everyone for tuning into the show uh if you'd like to show your support get exclusive reviews of modern spider-man comics commissioned artwork from spider-man artists past and present as well as access to the members only section of our slack community check out the amazing spider talk podcasting networks patreon that's two shows do you get to support for the price of one and twice the bonus content you'll be a real villain to pass up the that kind of opportunity almost messed up that line uh you can check the show notes for links <laughs> been eating your corn cane I, I don't get that reference. What, what you said was corny. Oh. Well. <laughs> Not a far, far reach of that one. Yeah. Uh, we want to extend a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you'd like to hear more of their beautiful music, check out the links in the show notes. And until I'm stuck to my chair from a sticky white substance, leave make mine untold. <laughs> Thank you.